Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn. I'm excited to be with you today. It's been a minute since we've had a chance to sit down and chat with folks and and I'm excited to have David Shove Brown on the podcast today. David is a partner at 3877, which I actually figured out what that was related to. And I, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But David is an architect with a background in residential, restaurant, and healthcare, and just an all around great individual. David, if for those of you that read the Zweig letter on a regular basis, David was featured back in June of 2021 in an interview that Lisa Andreessen did for the Zweig Letter to talk about just kind of a lot of things that were happening and are happening in the design industry that firms are and firm leadership are dealing with during the pandemic. And so I, after reading that and, and talking with a few other people, I said, you know, I've got to get David on the podcast just to talk with him directly. And he was kind enough to oblige, and I really appreciate that. And so without further ado, I want to welcome David to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I love this. This is awesome. Good, good. I've watched a couple of videos that you've done, and so you're, I won't call you a ham, but certainly you're, you're not afraid of the spotlight. So uh, um, we're, we're <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny those allegations. You know, no, that's, that, that's well, it depends. If you ask if you ask my eleven year old kid, I get the usual, "Dad, you're embarrassing me." Oh so, my gosh! Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. It's all good, man. I I really appreciate that. I would love for you just to one of the things that we've done historically with the Zweig Letter podcast, and and we've done it for over two hundred episodes. But whenever we have somebody that is not a known entity to our audience from the vantage point of being part of Zweig Group. We always like to ask them what their superhero origin story is. So I would love for you just to share a little bit about yourself and your background. And I know we have a couple of things in common because of where you went to college and where I spent my summers with my grandparents there in Washington, D.C. So I would love for you just to give the, the Zweig Letter audience the cliff note version of David from a superhero perspective. 
Oh, from a superhero perspective, um, I don't know if I got that, but uh, so yeah, I was an army brat, and my I was I was actually my sister and I were born in Panama, and then we moved to the states, and then moved around a bunch, and we ended up in in New England when my father got out of the service. You know, started to look at colleges in high school, and did the whole you know where the heck do I want to be, and and found Catholic UNDC, which sort of shocked everybody because well, I'm not Catholic and. I'm not sure that anybody would ever describe me as super pious. So found the school, loved the city, came down here for college and never left. And from there, just I've had a you know bit of a little sort of circuitous route to get to where I am in my career with some time in academia, some time working on my own, working for firms and things like that. So, you know, I'm not that different from my folks who had sort of differing careers as they evolved. And so I think the sort of you know, the mixture of all these different experiences have sort of culminated in this one thing that brings myself and my business partner, Dave Trotz, who is a college classmate and best friend together. And I think for us, it's really driven us to create this cool melting pot of different people with different backgrounds and different experiences to just do good work. Yeah. No, you know, and it's so funny you say that as I was reading a little bit about some of your experiences and you had a very unique story to tell about a very pivotal moment in your early career before you actually even got into architecture where you were you were looking down the barrel of a gun called biology class oh. and and it really challenged you and and honestly your challenge was our being collectively those of us that have been able to see the work that you've created over the years of your career has been our benefit because it it ultimately some advice that your mother gave you ultimately helped you pivot into a whole different career and, and focus. Well, you know, and the funny part about that whole story is, so I, I talked about the the biology class and going to my college or my counselor for high school. And, you know, I brought it up and, you know, several months later, I was with my parents and my mom said, you know, I don't remember that. And I was like, you don't remember, like, this was like such a major earth changing thing for me. My kid is at home trying to learn the periodic table. And I'm like, I got nothing. I got oxygen. I got hydrogen. That's, you know, that's what I can bring to the table because I never took calculus or t- never took chemistry. And so, you know, it was such a pivotal thing. And, and my mother just, for her, it was just being a mom and, you know, sort of seeing what, what her kid was good at and liked and quite frankly, wasn't as interested in and not as skilled in. So, you know, it's, it's amazing the sort of differing perceptions and perspectives of these events in one's life. Yeah. Well, it obviously all worked out, right? I mean, because you ended up getting, now you got your architecture degree at CAU or? Yeah. So at Catholic U, I've got, I got two degrees there. So did five and a half years of school and a couple of study abroads and here I am. Here you are. Yeah. No, I love that. You know, it's funny. I was listening, uh, Mark Zweig wrote an article just the other day about one of the things that the design industry really needs to push for, and your story is kind of harkens me back to that that article, and it's simply that we should be encouraging our kids, our young people, to consider a career in the design industry, in the AEC space, right? So it's yep. like no longer just hoping that your kid, your son or daughter comes to you and says, hey, mom, hey, dad, I want to be an architect or I want to be an engineer. It's like maybe sharing with them all the different opportunities and potential that exists within the design industry for an individual to create a satisfying career that lasts a lifetime. Absolutely. It's, you know, I didn't, I had nobody in my family. I didn't know any architects when I was a kid. I, you know, nobody in the family was an architect. And so this was a whole new thing. And then to see, you know, college classmates of mine go into all these different industries and all these different avenues, you know, from the design 
starting point was really fantastic. And so it's really cool to see how far all of these folks have gone and, and with such diversity. It's great. Yeah, that's something that I'm really excited about. And I, I do think that more and more organizations, more and more companies need to be intentional about getting out there and giving back, even at a young age, right, where you can't recruit any of these kids to come work for you tomorrow. But you can, you know, go to the high schools and junior high schools and encourage them to look at, you know, STEAM and STEM and all these different mm -hmm. opportunities that are available to young kids that these kids are not traditionally considering. And so. Well, yeah, I love I love doing, you know, little high school fairs. And, and quite frankly, I'm doing an elementary school, one for the school my kid used to go to school. And it's so awesome to go and, and show and talk about what you do, you know, and, and talk about what effect it has on people and not just drawing and, and designing a space, but understanding the business of restaurants and, and how people live in their homes. Like, you know, the whole sociological side of it is really it's so much fun to talk about. Yeah, it really is. And so, you know, as I was kind of doing a little bit of research on you, it sounds like you not just you not only have a love for architecture, but you also have a, a love for for landscape architecture for for just the whole environment, right? Yeah. So it's it's not just the building, but it's also the land that that building sits on. And I, I was, how did you kind of you know how did you decide to and ultimately pick one versus the other, even though technically they're both merged together in the way that you look at things? Well, it's it's exactly that. You know, I, I went into the architecture side because I loved that game of art and math and sort of tying them together, you know, designing something and then going, how do you build it or how do you how do you get it to stand up or how do you how do you even, you know, create this form, physical form? And so it wasn't really until I got into architecture that I really under started to understand landscape architecture and interior design and how all these things marry together and create such amazing experiences. So, you know, for me it's so much fun to work with people in the landscape space and in the interior design space, all these things coming together to create really fantastic design. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I have, I'm a huge Frank Lloyd Wright fan. And mm -hmm. and you probably know this, but you know, Frank Lloyd Wright built designed a lot of his buildings around nature. Yeah. And and my cousins still own a house one block over from one of a couple of homes that I think he designed and built in Oak Park, Illinois. And this particular house, and I've seen it before, has a tree in the middle of it, of the entryway to the house. Mm -hmm. And it was built around it. And it was always, you know, and they actually had friends that when my, my cousins were growing up, they, one of their friends actually lived in that house. Their parents owned it. And it was, you know, quite interesting to, you know, to see that. And you see how there is, you know, there's really no disconnect between nature and real good design. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the two just become one if it's done properly. Yeah. One of my inspirations, and, and I can actually say he's a, he's a good friend, is uh, Antoine Pradoc. And he has a great quote that he gave to me and some students, which is, you know, architecture is nothing but landscape and drag. <laughs> and, you know, to me, that really, when he said that, I was like, holy hell, it's, you know, it is. It's, it's that connection of inside and outside. And, and sometimes the line between the two is very blurry, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, you connected with Antoine. He was over in Italy. Yeah. So I connected with him through a mutual friend and invited him to come do a, uh, a seminar with some students of mine in Italy. And yeah, he's just such a cool dude and, and have stayed in touch and, and really very inspirational in what he's doing. Yeah. Wow. So now, do you still teach at Catholic University right now? 
Now, I mean, I'll, I'll, I go lecture and, and things like that on occasion, but I've, you know, something had to give at some point, you know, a few <laughs> years ago where it was just, you know, between uh, the firm and between family and, and all of those things coming together, it just got to be, there were only so many hours in the day and, and I had to pull away from teaching on a full-time basis. No, I understand that. It's just, there's nothing like giving back in that way because, you know, whenever you're molding the minds of the next generation, I mean, there's just so many, there's just so many really great outcomes that come from that. So I can imagine that you may end up, you may find yourself back in the the confines of a, of a classroom at some point in time in the future. So, you know. Well, I, you know, I, I just spoke at GW University Corcoran a couple of weeks ago. And so I love going out and, and talking to students and, and just sort of, you know, I, I think for me, the thing that's most pivotal is that you don't, you don't have to know your path early on and it doesn't have to be so straightforward. You can bounce around and, and, you know, enjoy the drive. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to see the sights as you're going through it all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I always tell people, man, you know, life is not as linear as you think it is. There's a lot of zigs and zags in there. Mm-hmm. And if you take a moment and take time to take in those zigs and zags, it's a much more enjoyable journey in my estimation. 100%. So, yeah. So, absolutely. so listen, I, I want to talk about 3877 and which, you know, for those of you, the, you know, I'll just put it out there. That is the latitude and longitude of where you guys are located there in the DC area. And, and I'm just curious, I'd love for you just to tell the audience a little bit about your company and what you guys focus on f- from a practice standpoint. Sure. So my business partner, Dave and I, so he's DT and I'm DSB with two Daves in the office. We've got two Daves, three Megans, let's see, two Matts. I'm trying to think we got a, oh, two Jesse. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> so. When Dave and I started the firm, we made some really solid conscious decisions to make, you know, to really focus on clients and customer satisfaction and, and not just getting a job, but really getting a client and staying with them for the long haul and really focusing on the industries that we knew and we really enjoyed. So for us, that was residential, that was hospitality, that was restaurants. We certainly have, have branched out a little bit from that. You know, we both had done some office space work, we had done some space or some work within the sort of fitness arena. And so those were sort of our core factors or core sectors that we wanted to focus on. And, and, you know, we're not the people to design arena. We're not the people to design a civic building. And that's okay. We don't need to be. There's lots of great folks for that. So we wanted to focus on those industries and do really well within them and understand what we were good at and what we weren't as good at. And being quite frankly, honest with ourselves and with everybody else to say, this is what you should come to us for. So, you know, we started off the two of us in my kitchen um, in Capitol Hill. And uh, so it was Dave and I, it was my wife worked out of the office in the basement. We had our newborn daughter, two dogs and a nanny. So it was every day it was an adventure. Um, (laughs) And uh, we've grown to, you know, just over 30 people. And we've got architects, interior designers. We've got some office folks. And we've put together a team of just insanely talented people that, you know, basically we hire them and get the hell out of the way and just let them create. And it's so fun to watch, man. It is awesome. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of a contemporary of mine. I might, I might have you by a couple of years. I'm 52. But when you got into the design industry, it was a lot different than it is today. Oh, um, yeah. Which, yeah. Now, would you imagine that it has become what it is today versus what it was like in the 90s? Because when I, I talk to people about the 90s and the design industry, whether you were a civil engineering or 
engineering firm or whether you are an architecture firm. And I say this all the time. So anybody listening to this podcast has heard this expression. It was an old wineskin mentality for the industry in terms of how things are done. And that's oh, not yeah. how we do things. And oh, so yeah. It is so drastically different. I'm sure when you tell the young heads and explain to them that you guys don't know what it was like in the 90s or, you know, maybe even the early 2000s for that matter. So much has changed in the design industry space, yet so much has stayed the same from a good perspective in the sense of design sensibility and understanding. So a lot of the old stuff that maybe needed to go away went away, but a lot of the new stuff, along with the the traditional abilities to design really and create really wonderful things, have remained. Well, there's still some of those... Uh... <laughs> those 1990s, early 2000s firms out there and people. No, there are, but they, they, listen, they're not recruiting well. And trust me when I say this, that's the biggest challenge right now. And that's why firms have to physically think about how they do things and where, you know, change needs to be made. So yes, yeah, some, some of them are, are having, are being pulled kicking and screaming into the yeah. 2020s. So yeah, well, and it's, you know, the hardest thing I think, for people to understand is that you have to be sometimes critical of yourself. You have to be able to see, you know, you have to be able to say like, I don't know the answer to this, but I've got this person over here in the office. That's really good at that sort of thing. Right. And letting them run and not being the micromanager, not being the person that dictates design and, you know, letting the philosophy is that anybody in the office can have a good idea. I don't care what your title is. And, and I, I learned this in academia that, you know, a lot of times people had, sort of feelings of themselves based on their degree. And quite frankly, I don't give a damn. You know, it's, right. it's for me, it's how you are as a human, how you are, you know, what do you think about? What's the thought process? What's the process for design? What's the, you know, how do you treat the people around you? That to me is, ends up telling me way more about how you are as an employee or as a team member than whatever your portfolio looks like. So you have to be able to say to yourself, okay, I'm really good at this sort of thing, but not so good at that thing and balance them out. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that a lot of firms are, are doing a, a good job of acclimating to the way things are today and to these Gen Z and millennials and the way that they work, you know, because I think it's, it is a lot different than what we've experienced in the past. So, you know, so tell me this, I would love to know, you know, going into the pandemic, which everybody, and like I said, we we're slowly coming out of it. We still have a little way to go, but people are getting excited. Mask ordinances are being removed. Even That even happened here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I am. I don't know what it's like in D.C., but what was for you guys during these last two years, what was the biggest aha moment for you going through this pandemic as an organization, as a design firm? For me, it wasn't an, an earth-shattering realization. It was a reassurance that our team was the right team that you know I, I I should have done a better job in the last two years of writing things down and sort of and just you know to think back to conversations that we had and things that we did and you know those memories are starting to slowly trickle away and, and I wish that I had written it down down more but for me the compassion that our team had for one another and for us and for our clients, that to me was so reassuring. And to think that we had created a firm that 
really was what we wanted it to be. It wasn't a dictatorship. It wasn't, you know, two people sort of ruling the day. It was a whole bunch of people working together and supporting one another. That to me was was the thing that when this is all said and done, that's the thing that I'm going to think back on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I think adversity creates opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's the case for anybody. Right. I mean, I think, you know, if you if you get knocked down, you got to get back up and, and figure out a way not to get knocked down again and, and to keep moving forward. You guys instituted a couple of things that I think are really interesting. Actually, some things that are totally the purview of, you know, tech companies and all of that. And, and I've heard a few companies in the design space institute unlimited PTO and hybrid work models. And, you know, we've all been in a hybrid work model just because of the pandemic, but you've been able to embrace some of those changes and have found, you know, a silver lining in all of that, that has been really helpful for your growth as an organization. I'd love for you just to kind of talk about those specific two items, which are huge, Right. right? And, you know, unlimited PTO, like people hear that and they say, oh, I can never do that because then nobody will ever come to work. And in actuality, the statistics show that companies that offer unlimited PTO, people take less vacations than people well, that. You know, and, it's, and so for us, it's not a it's not a, you know, sort of free for all with unlimited PTO. It says, OK, you have to plan far enough in advance. We have to look at it and say, hey, you know what? As you're starting to go through that process of, you know, I think I'm going to take a vacation with my family in August. Let me look at some dates. Part of that should not just be looking at airfare and looking at hotel, you know, rates, but also looking at the office calendar and going, oh, wait a minute. I've got two other people at my level out that same week. Maybe look at the week after. Mm-hmm. And with that planning, it, quite frankly, it only helps you in the sense that if I know that I've got coverage when I'm not in the office, you know, we make a point of saying that so-and-so is out this week. You know, when Dave's traveling or I'm traveling, one of us will say, look, don't call. Call me first. And then let's right. try to figure out what the solution is. You know, there's not a lot that can go completely sideways in a week. So getting somebody to have some some time away for a week is is really important. And so if we've learned nothing in the last couple of years about mental health, physical health, what are we doing? <laughs> so... Yeah. You know, before the pandemic, we had started Tuesdays and Thursdays doing office runs. And we would, you know, a bunch of us would just put on some running shoes and just go, you know, at various different lengths. And sometimes people would do yoga. And so, and you realize that that hour away made the other time in the office more efficient. One, you were planning for it. You were saying, you know what, at four o'clock or at lunchtime or whatever, we're going to go for a run. I need to schedule my time to get my stuff done. But it also said, okay, you know, and I'm, I'm running in there with some people and you can have conversations about work or maybe not. And, you know, but you're not getting interrupted with your phone or email or any of that stuff. So take that and then say, how do you progress it beyond an hour? How do you progress it to a long weekend or a week or two weeks and really understand the benefit that it gives to you and to the office? So that was something that we, you know, we really wanted to do and to bring to the workspace. You know, the the hybrid thing was sort of twofold as well. So, you know, we figured it out, right? We had no choice. We had to figure it out. It wasn't it wasn't like anybody said, you know what, we're gonna be trendsetters and we're gonna work from home. <laughs> like, you know, that week, that holy shit, that week of I just remember, you know, disconnecting monitors and giving people computer monitors to take home so they could have like and we're going, Well, I hope that our bandwidth can handle it. We haven't really tested it for this kind of thing. So we figured it out. 
we figured out how to be creative across the web, right? And work and design in differing spaces. The other thing that it allowed us to do is say, you know, with the hybrid model of two days in the or two days out of the office, three days in the office, it gives people two days to really focus on their own stuff so that when they get to the office, you can focus on the teamwork and being together and saying, okay, I know that we've got, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to work together, figure out what we need to do so that Friday comes around and then Monday comes back around. I can either clear out some of that stuff or I can focus on planning for the next thing. And so it's been a great thing for us that we've seen. And the other, the other sort of funny part about this is, you know, even from Monday, we've got a handful of people that are here because some of them are so sick of their apartments and their houses. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, Guilty. Right, exactly. So, you know, my office in my house, I shared for about a minute and a half with my wife who spends her life on conference calls. And so then I got sequestered out to the living room. And after about three days, wondered why my back hurt because I was using a laptop at my, you know, coffee table. And so, you know, you, you try to find the best workspace. And, and for me, it was coming in and getting out of the office and being able to say, you know what, I'm going to do my work and then I'm going to go home and get out of work. So for us, those were, those were big steps and it's working for us. Yeah. You know, I don't know that it would work for everybody. I don't know that it would work all the time, but we also, for us, have really put forward the notion of open communication. We share just about everything with the employee. You know, the only thing people don't know are each other's salaries. We share sure. everything else as an open book. So yep. you want to know what we made last year? You want to know what we're, you know, what this project is, is earning? Do you want to know what the schedule is? All of those things are, are open information. So for us, that we believe that that fosters the open communication of you know, somebody, I had those days over the last several years where I was like, you know what? I can't function. I need to get on my bike. I'm taking tomorrow off to get on my bike and clear my head. And people go, okay, cool, do it. You know, we got you. And that's the kind of atmosphere that we've created, which has really helped with those things. Yeah. Now, I, I love you saying that and, and just the, hearing the simple fact that you know, Mark Zweig has been touting open book management for years. I can remember in the 90s when it was almost heretical to mention that in some circles. But now it's like, you know, you see more and more design firms embracing open book management and just really being transparent with the whole team so that there aren't aren't any surprises and everybody feels like they're part of the solution. Well, not only that is if you don't have all the information, you can't you can't properly function, right? So, you know, we've worked for those firms that they said, okay, we want you to be more profitable. And you'd say, okay, well, you know, what are we, what are we charging for the project? Or how much time have you allocated? And they go, oh, I can't tell you that. And you go, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't, know, what I'm, I don't know what the rules of the game are, so I don't know how, how to compete. And so now it works twofold. We can say, okay, here's the schedule. Here's the proposal. Now here's what we're spending money on. So that we can say, yeah, we're going to have a, you know, a better holiday party or, you know, we're giving X more in bonuses and raises this year or whatever it is so that everybody goes, yeah, okay, we're all in this together. And they're going to, you know, turn around and give us more money at the end of the year. If we, if we're more, great, I'm in. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's like, there's nothing like that. I mean, when you're able to do that, then people, it's that level of transparency is, I think is so important for a thriving and growing organization, any type of organization, but especially for a design firm, it makes a huge difference. And it bleeds over 
to how you interact with and manage and take care of your clients as well. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I saw that you said something specifically about how you guys manage your clients' expectations with regard to just, you know, being upfront with them to let them know that, hey, we're not perfect. We're going to make some mistakes, but we're all in this together, whatever Mm -hmm. that together is, whatever that project is to see this through to the end. Mm -hmm. How has that helped you in working with clients, you know, that you've had to serve over the life of the company? The the thing that it does is those hard conversations. If you, if you start the conversation early, then it's not so hard, right? If you start the conversation, you know, look, we're not perfect. We're going to make some mistakes. There's going to be things we don't see, things that we don't know about. We're going to react to them and we're going to try to fix it. We're going to try to do it in the right timeline and the right cost. But we all need to work together. By having those conversations before something happens is a hell of a lot easier than going, oh boy, we got a problem. And it, it snowballs from there. Same thing with money, right? Where you have the conversation about money and say, this is why the fee we proposed is this much. I'm not retiring on the next job. You know, these things, we have rent, we have electricity, we have salaries, we have all these things that, that go into it and understanding how long a project takes. And then say, look, Maybe we're not the right firm because we can't do it at a certain timeline or for a certain price. I'm going to help you find somebody. But having that open communication early is so much better than you know reacting to a, an adverse situation. It just for us, it's it helps that philosophy of everybody's on the same. We're all on the same team, and we're all trying to do this together. We're all trying to have a great project and work through it. I think for us, because Dave and I have been friends for so long. And, you know, I don't really think we've ever, we've had a couple of disagreements, but never had the serious argument. I think that that trickles through and, and, and people see like, you can work things out with communication. It's amazing. Yeah. A little conversation, well, especially in the last, you know, look at the last five or six years and you go, a little communication goes a long way. And instead of sort of it building up and, and maybe missing and this could be the one sort of side effect of, of hybrid, you know, that instead of building up and maybe misinterpreting something to just have the conversation, you know, the number of times I have to remind people like no more emailing, no more texting, you know, pick up the phone, have a call. You can get a lot out there. And then sometimes you realize, you know, what? oh, man, I thought I thought Randy gave me a, a weird look the other day. Oh, no, that's because <laughs> he stubbed his toe on the wall as he came right. around. It wasn't because he looked at you. Right. And, so, you know, just having some of that conversation just mitigates so much turmoil. Yeah. The energy for all of it. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and you you speak, you're exactly right. And, and actually, it's just, it is about having really good, positive communication, having individuals that are strong, active listeners in your mm-hmm. organization. I can always tell a successful design firm by virtue of those that don't struggle in the area of active listening. Not that we're all perfect in that area. But to me, it's an ongoing thing, right? I mean, my wife, if you ask her, she'll say I'm not the best listener, but I, it's something that I'm constantly working on. I I take the Kaizen approach to active listening where I'm just consistently trying to improve in that area. But I have seen the firms that really, the firm leadership that operates and are strong active listeners, that trickles down to the other people on the team. Because when people that are subordinate to you know that you actually are listening to what they have to share and and say and that you actually care about it it speaks volumes to them and they typically will will fight fire will do anything to help you achieve the objectives 
that you're trying to achieve on a larger scale for the company? Well, and I mean, we've all been with those people, right? That you can tell they're not listening to a thing you're saying because their brain is already processing the next question. Yeah. And, you know, you're going, okay, I, I could light myself on fire right now and you wouldn't even <laughs> notice. So we actually, we need to do it again. We did uh, improv with our team. And, yeah. you know, improv is, is nothing but listening. It's not yeah. about being funny. It's about reacting to what someone says. You can't sit there and go, I can't wait to deliver this next joke. And by the time that it gets to you, that moment has passed. So now your joke is out of context or your funny thing you were going to say has no relationship to where the conversation has gone. So that whole thing is that whole idea of improv is about listening and responding to what's being said and done. So, you know, yes, we could go into a, a meeting with a list of questions, but there's Oh, God, it's terrible, right? When somebody goes, well, how many bedrooms are you thinking? And then they go, well, you know, we really like bedrooms, but for us, it's about, you know, our living space. And you go, how many bathrooms are you thinking? And you're like, no, no, like go back to that thing. Like, right. Let them go and let it evolve. And you'll, you'll figure out how many bathrooms they need, but let them talk about the life that they live and talk about the concept of their restaurant and, and what that experience is like. Let it be organic and not so regimented the whole way through. Yeah, it's like it's almost like taking uh, Simon Sinek's focus to start with why, you know, why is somebody wanting to design something in the first place? Right. right? You, you gain that insight and information and then all the little details and little little pieces, they all fit in nicely mm-hmm. because you understand what they're trying to accomplish. And if they have, you know, if a client has this idea that they want something that, you know, can't be delivered, at least you can have that conversation with them early on. And, you know, everybody is, uh, be- will benefit from that. Well, and sometimes, too, it's somebody can come to you with a preconceived notion of what that thing is that we're designing. And we're not a drafting service, right? If you want, right. if you want somebody to just do what you want, to just draft, then hire, that's great. Hire them. But for us, it's let's look at it from a different angle or let's look at it from a, a different perspective. And sometimes we get clients who are like, holy hell, I never thought about that. that was, <laughs> you know, that's completely backwards to what we thought about, but it works. So, you know, throwing those and maybe you end up with exactly what you thought, but maybe you don't. Maybe you, you know, have a a route that's a little bit more interesting and you find something along the way. Yeah. And I and I think that to me is the difference between a really good design firm and design firm leadership that operates and are strong, active listeners, especially when engaging with the client, because they can make that whole creative process really enjoyable mm-hmm. between the creative process and the actual, you know, end result. It's just, you know, you look at it and you have some projects that you just can't wait for them to go away. And you have others that you're like, man, I wish this could keep going on because this has been so enjoyable. And that's really how it should be. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you get like the right project, then not even during just the design process, but through construction and after they're open and things like that, where people continue to, you know, they call and go, it's really awesome what you did there. And that to me is really incredible. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. Well, David, I, I want to land this plane and, and I want to basically find out from you what your thoughts are between you and your partner. How bullish are you guys about the future? I mean, you know, I don't know what your backlog is. I don't know what, you know, how, you know, your, your client list is right now, but how bullish are you for the future? Given everything else that's going on, we're coming out of the pandemic. You know, unfortunately, we have this whole Ukraine situation going on. And so, you know, life still happens, right? But how excited are you guys about the future 
for 3877 and just for the designing of really great architectural and landscape architectural projects. I mean, we're super excited. I mean, it's, you know, and, and we, we were able to, after like the first few weeks of just sort of shock of a couple of years ago, we were able to start to say, okay, we know that we have this time. And so we started a list of all the things that we wanted to do in the office that we never had time to do, right? Like, how do you organize the server file structure so it's easier <laughs> to find something? And you're like, well, I don't have time for that. I'll just, you know, and it just keeps getting kicked down the lane. So we did that stuff. We found time to do those things, which then allowed us to become more strategic as we are moving out of this to say, okay, we've got the first layer chipped away. Now, how do we look at being more productive, more profitable, more efficient, working smarter, not harder, all of those things, and being able to say, okay, quite frankly, who are the clients that we really want to work with? Who are the people that through all of this in the last couple of years are the ones that are the good humans? Because, you know, yeah, I understand something's going to go wrong and, and you may lose your temper on That's fine. But at the end of the day, I want to deal with good people. And so for us, we've been able to foster those relationships. And we're at a point now where we've got a great backlog. We actually, you know, we went from a thousand to zero to two thousand <laughs> so quickly. And, you know, we came into the new like December of last year and into the new year going, oh my God, we have too much work. How are we gonna get this done? You know, meanwhile, our team is coming to us going, if you guys take one more job, I'm going to stab <laughs> you in the neck. And, you know, so then we said, okay. We got to clear some of this out. We've got to work more strategically and and come up with a plan. And so we've been doing that really focused on tracking business development and marketing as we as we lead into new jobs and understanding staffing. And quite frankly, there was a time when as we were doing staffing and projections, we were looking at staffing people saying, okay, well, they're probably going to work faster than we think. So we're going to staff you, Randy, for 45 hours a week. And in that took into consideration that nothing can go off the rails, right? You can't have a question on a project that allows you to, you know, that causes you to have to work an extra hour on something, you know, so we had no comfort factor. We had no safety net. It was like, and so we obviously, so suddenly people are going, I'm working 50 or 55 hours. What the hell? So we've actually reframed our thinking to say, okay, let's schedule people for 35 hours and allow for some of that built in safety net so that people can get stuff done, people can spend the right amount of time on projects and not go, I got to get this thing just out the door and hope that it's correct. Let's spend the right time to do it. So, I mean, we're super excited. We just, we brought staffing back up. We've hired some folks after having to let people go. We, you know, we've, we were able to give raises and bonuses last year. And, and, you know, we're at a point now during COVID when Dave and I were the only two people in the office, we were I'm hoping my landlord's not listening to this, but you know, we were stealing paper towels from the restroom rather than buy rolls of paper towels. And so <laughs> if my rent goes up, I'm going to know why. But um, so, you know, now we're at a point where we're able to do some fun things. We're thinking about some office events. We're thinking about what are the things that we can reward everybody for everything they've done in the last couple of years, because it's just been awesome. Yeah, it has. I mean, it, you know, it's monumental that that we've all survived through this. And, and actually, like I said, I've, and I've said it over and over again, and I'll continue to say it, you know, we're resilient and we're, we're stronger because of everything that we've been able to endure over the past few years. So, so I, I uh, gave a presentation down in Florida a couple of weeks ago at 
you know, got a month ago at this point. I don't even know what day it is, but and we talked about office culture. And one of my one of my slides that I presented just simply said, "Compassion without humility is is just sympathy." And for me, having this compassion and, and understanding, you know, what is compassion from the last couple of years, and not just going, "Oh, Randy, yeah, I'm really sorry, Randy, you can't leave your house," and you know, that's too bad. Like you're just placating. And so for us, it's being able to be humble and look at ourselves and go, okay, not only can Randy not leave his house, but what can I do to help that? What can yeah. I do to, to make that better? And then all of a sudden that's compassion. And, yeah. you know, and you find that even though you're sort of at your, the lowest energy level or you're taxed emotionally, but that little bit of giving somebody some, you know, that little bit extra that that comes back, man. And that for us is what's really happened over the last couple of years is you found those people that not only said they were compassionate, but acted it. And that yeah. was really what's been amazing for me to see. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's kind of like hearing that one of my favorite catchphrases, how can I help? You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, how can I help in this situation? Because yeah. we never know what other people are going through until we know. And so well, I think the whole, it's, it's the whole duck theory, right? You know, you look at somebody and, and they may look calm and cool, but their feet are going a million miles an hour under the water. So right. You don't know. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, you're, you're, you're so true. So, man, well, David, this has been great. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and, and just a little bit about your background and experience and what you guys have been doing at 3877. It certainly is a testimony to you taking your company from your kitchen table on Capitol Hill to the heights that you guys are today. And, you know, who knows what the future holds, but I certainly will be rooting for you guys on the sidelines as I continue to keep tabs on, on how things are going there. If people want to reach out and connect with you after listening to this podcast, what's the best way for them to do that? So obviously visit the website, 3877.design. And there you can click on any of the people and get our email addresses. But my email is my initials, DSB at studio3877.com. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Love to chat. Love to, you know, I love to hear what other people are doing and learn from, from other, you know, companies and individuals, just because it's, there's so many great ideas out there, man. It's fantastic to witness. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I also have found this industry to be one of the most collaborative industries. I mean, yeah, people are competing, but there's a lot more collaboration going on than people realize. So (laughs) quite frankly, that's what, I mean, kept some of our sanity over the last couple of years is, talking to other firms who were technically our competition, but we're all in it together trying to help each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. I, I'll definitely end on that note. I, I appreciate that. We'll make sure that all your contact information's in the show notes and people can check that out. And we will, um, we'll make sure that everybody has information on how to reach out to you. So David Shove Brown, partner at 3877 firm there in Washington, DC. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I cannot thank you enough, Randy. This was awesome. And please, anytime you're next time you're in DC, you best be coming over. Well, I'm coming over because, you know, it's so funny. You know, I realized somebody told me, I don't know. Do you remember the Bricks Keller? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, okay. I heard it closed. I was yeah. so upset to hear that. And I was yeah. like, man, that was like, it was touted as a, it's a little, it was a little dive bar, like right on the edge of Rock Creek Park right before you hit Georgetown. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, it was like the greatest little bar. But their big claim to fame was that they carried every beer made in the world. Yeah. And I used I used to go there like every weekend I was at the Bricks Keller 
enjoying yep. some beers. So well, um, we, got, we got beer on tap here in the office. So any- oh, well, th- say no more. We don't have to do any. We don't even have to leave leave your office. So no, I will I will be by to come visit you the next time I am in the District of Columbia. So I, I certainly appreciate that invitation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. To learn more about one of the oldest newsletters in the design industry, visit zweiggroup.com. You can read articles online, listen to this podcast, and sign up for a free subscription to the newsletter and have it delivered right into your email inbox every Monday morning. Sign up today. For more info about Zweig Group's advisory services or any Zweig Group publications, visit zweiggroup.com. You can subscribe to the Zweig Letter Podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to The Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.